Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel, where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Altitude. And by fabulous, I mean today for you, we have a fabulous guest, Scott Rainovich, who is the founder and chief analyst of Futurium, one of the leading emerging cloud technology analyst firms. So Scott, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Woody. Thanks for having me. You bet. So uh, today, you know, I'd like to focus a lot on unpacking the information and the latest Futurium reported and talking about trends and outcomes uh, as we move into 2023 for cloud. But before that, I'd like to focus a little bit on your background. As I was doing homework for the show, I couldn't help but notice you come from a really cool kind of eclectic interdisciplinary background, just like myself. We have some commonalities. We're both musicians. We both love rock and roll. And I thought I had to ask um, your opinion on the strength of people that come from, you know, IDS uh, and varied backgrounds in technology. Thanks. Yeah. Interesting question, Woody. And we were talking about this earlier. Uh, the way I look at it is, is technology and music and language aren't really that different. They're all different types of languages. In fact, you could argue that music is a type of code, right? So uh, I think uh, things like music are really important. And I've, I've met a lot of people in technology who are musicians. And I think uh, music is instrumental and training your brain in different ways and, and training you how to think in different ways and it kind of uh, generates creativity, which is often needed to solve many technology problems. So I see uh, all these things as interrelated. Yeah, I agree. You know, in my history working in the tech field, um, I've met a lot of musicians and artists and, and other people that come from interdisciplinary backgrounds. In fact, uh, one of my earlier jobs was uh, working the phones and support queue at F5 Networks when I was first getting into this thing. And the guy that sat right next to me was the former bass player for Nico Case. Um, so that was really cool. Scott was his name, really nice guy and brilliant, uh, you know, network engineer. So it is really cool how there's that overlap between music and arts and technology for all the reasons uh, that you described. I also want to talk about the success of Futurium because that really stuck out to me as I was doing research into your company uh, in preparation for today's show. Uh, focusing on the Futurium 40, which for our listeners is now the Futurium 50, um, there's been a high degree of success between the companies that the Futurium 40 has um, earmarked as you know up-and-coming companies to watch and pay attention to and those companies that have uh, recently made big exits as of last year. So, for example, Cohesity, Couchbase, Darktrace, HashiCorp, these are all names that uh, we should be familiar with if we're tracking the progress of startups and their exits in the technology sector. And in fact, uh, since the Futurium 40 was around since of 2021, um, the companies that are being tracked on that list have raised over $13.3 billion in funding, which is very impressive. So... Scott, whatever you're doing at Futurium, you're doing right. Can you talk a little bit about the secret of your success? Sure. Thanks, Woody. Uh, thanks for the compliments. We're always trying to do better, however. 
Uh, we are really, uh, when I think about analysis and research, I mean, the, the base material is uh, data, and uh, we're a very data-driven in enterprise. And uh, the way I think about it is before we formulate an opinion or make a list or write about companies, we try to, to gather as much data as possible. That includes like data you can find on the, the fundraising and the pasts, past record of the founders, but also includes talking to people. And uh, I like to say, you know, I use, I was a journalist before I was an analyst and I was a, an editor-in-chief for many years. And I used to tell reporters, your information is only good as who you're talking to. So try to find the smartest people in the industry and talk to them because they know more than you. And that's how I, I manage myself. I try to talk to people that are smarter than myself in the industry and gather as many as, of their ideas as possible. So all that gets baked into the Futurium 50 and anything we do, we try to gather as much data as possible and talk to people that are smarter than us to tell us you know, what's happening. All right. So let's dive into the report itself for a little bit. The one that came out just recently that's you know predicting emerging trends uh, for cloud in, in 2023, which of course... Uh, we're just off to a roaring, interesting start here. Uh, the broad themes that were discussed in the report in terms of hot technologies and associated companies uh, to keep an eye on circulated around topics such as unified cloud security, distributed cloud infrastructure, um, cloud data management. And in those three pillars, some other um, you know, technologies and areas to explore further and to look at companies that were involved were zero trust networking, edge compute, Secure Cloud Networks and Secure Cloud Networking, and of course, SASE, which we know as Secure Access Service Edge. Uh, there were others as well, of course, but I want to focus on those because um, today I just want to focus on the infrastructure side, the networking and security side, because I'm interested in the impact that the current economy might have in those sectors. I mean, obviously, it's been a rough ride for technology companies over the last two or three months. We're seeing a lot of layoffs across all facets of the the cloud and IT industry. You know, if you're reading the headlines, uh, it's, it's apparent that the tech industry is certainly shedding some jobs, likely not only in response to current economic headwinds, but of course to the great amount of hiring that they did to kind of close gaps uh, in 2020 when coronavirus hit and all of a sudden work from home and remote productivity really exploded. And there was this mad rush, you know, to to fill the gap and get talent on board. So how do you think that's going to impact some of the predictions you made in the report and more specifically the infrastructure space in cloud, which, you know, isn't always where companies focus or spend? Great question, Woody. Um, though, well, we're certainly in some sort of economic slowdown. We don't really know what that looks like in terms of the, uh, you know, how big it is, though I will say as somebody has lived through a couple uh, bubble implosions, the, the 2000, 2001, uh, internet bubble deflation and then the uh, the financial crisis of 2008 2009 this one doesn't look uh, nearly as as bad um and the way to think about it was that um we're really coming out of a, a massive response to the pandemic where the there was a lot of uh, stimulus and a, an acceleration towards hybrid work environments and digital strategies and companies had to adopt those technologies very quickly to respond to this kind of unprecedented change in the environment. So really, there was this huge surge to digital and cloud technologies, and now we're just pulling back a little bit. But um, 
companies are going to still look to expand their cloud infrastructure, but they're, they're going to be more focused on things like optimization, like how can we optimize these cloud environments and maybe make them more efficient and not spend as much, uh, not waste as much. And that's kind of what some of the trends that aviatrics are involved with, such as hybrid and multi-cloud are all about. It's about optimizing the, the cloud infrastructure that you have. All right. So yeah, that is good news for a lot of the startups and other companies you mentioned on the list, because there is definitely a theme of consolidation and optimization happening right now in the uh, in the infrastructure space. So point of that example, uh, one of the areas you mentioned to pay attention to um, is this merging of edge and you know core networking and cloud, meaning that they tend to be um, coming together and consolidating in single platforms or interlaced platforms, as opposed to having edge as a corporate thing into cloud. And then cloud network has its own thing that, you know, data centers connect into. So edge and cloud um, networks are, are kind of growing together and becoming cohesive. Um, what factors do you see driving this in the industry? Do you think that it's all about efficiency? Um, is it about cost? Is it just that this is really the best way to um, to go about building an edge strategy now, one that's more intelligent into what's happening in cloud. I'm curious about your thoughts. Yes, as we as we move into these, uh, let's call them hybrid environments. Um, it's exactly what you said. It's like uh, stitching together the enterprise edge with the uh, public cloud infrastructure and the, and the resources wherever you might have them. Um, it's really about uh, visibility and management. You know, and I and I was just actually writing an article about this in the in the first phase of cloud. You had, uh, you know, public these huge public cloud companies like Amazon building this resource on the cloud, but the adoption was somewhat uh, uh, it was somewhat uh, messy and chaotic. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of shadow IT, where you know business units would just click on a cloud and adopt mm -hmm. it, but the the uh, the folks managing the IT environment or the security environment or the CEO really didn't have a handle on how this infrastructure was being used. So I think as we move into this next phase, whatever you want to call it, hybrid, multi-cloud environments, it's really about getting a handle on all the cloud resources that are being used and maybe uh, managing that a little better with, with visibility and, and having some insight because uh, I'm not saying it's bad if a business unit adopts a cloud starts using it, but, you know, maybe they should be talking to everybody else in the organization so they they know they're not, you know, double double adopting a cloud or something like this. And I think this is going to be part of the, the cloud optimization process. Right. So if we think about one of the key benefits of cloud, and of course there are several, and there's key challenges in cloud as well, we know that. But one of the key benefits of cloud, of course, is orchestration, automation, right? Infrastructure as code. And you know, cloud has reached a fairly decent maturity level with that on the infrastructure side. It's not perfect, of course, and there's, you know, a lot of companies out there that are uh, addressing these gaps and moving in to make things better for customers. But by and large, you know, if you're good with Terraform or um, Ansible or, or Bicep or something, you could build cloud networks um, in days or even hours as opposed to, you know, the, the, the months or even longer it would take to really roll out big networks, you know, in the on-prem space. And looking at Edge, you're saying that maybe what Edge needs to do is benefit from that same agility, 
right? To be able to deploy edge almost as seamlessly and automatically as one could deploy a cloud network. Is that part of that motion? Uh, absolutely. And um, I mean, edge is kind of a, uh, it can be an abused term, but uh, not just edge, but uh, traditional infrastructure, meaning like the install base, right? Like there's uh, there's billions and billions of dollars of installed compute network and storage in the enterprise environment, and they, they don't want to just throw that away, right? They, they want to use that and leverage that with the cloud. Okay, makes sense. Uh, I'd like to talk for a little bit about this phenomenon that I've been tracking personally myself over the last couple of years that I see accelerating, which is... Um, a phenomenon I call the incredible shrinking internet. And I think it's important for today's conversation while we're talking about edge getting folded into uh, cloud native networking. So if you look at what's happening in terms of the growth of cloud networks out, right? The cloud private networks are getting bigger. Their edge sites are getting more intelligent and profound and uh, pushing into spaces such as meet me's and colos and pops and so forth. Um, that is working also in concert with customers moving legacy infrastructure or, you know, heritage infrastructure, as I call it, into the Meet Me or into the POP so that it's physically closer to cloud. So some of these workloads of consequence that are harder to migrate and virtualize or refactor end up in, you know, a Cologix or Equinix facility, for example, running there so they can be close. Um, and what then connects these stacks sometimes as private connectivity technologies like Direct Connect or Express Route as opposed to the internet. But then also we have a proliferation of IoT devices and smart devices that are jumping on cloud networks through um, specialized operating systems like Azure Sphere and so forth. And they're riding 5G. And of course, there's been a lot of stuff in the news about the partnerships uh, between um, big cloud service providers and um wireless carriers to make their services more seamless and cohesive. So the, you know, the clouds are pressing out, workloads of consequence are pressing in, IoT devices are able to get in over 5G and access um, pass and SaaS services pretty quickly over private networks. And then finally, we have the fact that a lot of the internet destinations, those business websites you love, those websites of interest that you love, social networking, et cetera, are all now hosted in cloud or are themselves really a proper cloud, like Facebook or Meta or something. So I'm curious as to what that leaves on the internet from some of these more traditional edge technologies. So just, you know, to pick on one, you know, segment like SD-WAN, for example, not that SD-WAN is, you know, going to drive and blow away, but I'm curious as to how this phenomenon might change the optics of what's happening in the SD-WAN market today. I want to push back a little bit on the idea of that the internet is shrinking or, because uh, I actually don't think that's the case. I think it might be morphing because uh, when you talk about the technologies we're using right now, these are basically internet IP-based technologies, right? And uh, when you talk about something like uh, remote work, a hybrid work, what's actually happening is people are using the internet more. Um, they're using broadband connectivity to connect. Now, you have to secure that connectivity and you might run some type of overlay, uh, but is that the internet or not? Well, I, I would argue they're using the core internet technologies and then they're 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 building you know 
more value on top of that to make them more accessible. But SD-WAN initially, to go back to SD-WAN, uh, initially was about replacing a, a legacy technology known as MPLS, multi-protocol label switching, and using more internet technologies to do that. And I think uh, that evolution is still happening. Uh, but to your point, uh, because there's so many different resources now to use in the cloud, uh, there's just more options. But I think all this is good news for hybrid workers and enterprises and, and organizations because the the economy of scale of the cloud, you know, as uh, uh, you mentioned, you know, folks like Equinix and, and Cloudflare and Microsoft and Google, as they build out this cloud infrastructure that enables you to get to the internet faster or get to an internet-like service faster and more securely, the the uh, the impact is that it it drives down the cost for everybody. We we uh, there's no doubt that connecting to things is cheaper than it's ever been before. So I think that's all good news for us that are trying to do uh, podcasts on the internet and things like this. All right, Scott. So I want to talk a little bit about two terms that were kind of new to me that came up on the Futurium uh, 40 report. Now, of course, the Futurium 50. And that was networking as a service or NAS and multi-cloud networking or MCN. Um, so just maybe help myself and the listeners understand those terms are kind of new in the industry. Uh, you did peg them as terms that would be more important in 2023 and beyond. Are they the same thing, networking as a service and multi-cloud networking? Um, just unpack those terms for us and tell us how you think uh, they're going to unfold. Sure. Uh, they, can, they can be the same thing, but uh, as we know in the technology industry, uh, jargon can be much abused and there can also be differences in how people treat jargon. But going back to what you talked about, um, this kind of uh, private internet, let's call it, you know, the private internet that could exist in Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud or Amazon, uh, any cloud, basically, they, they've they built this massive networking infrastructure that's really at our disposal to use, right? So the question is, uh, how can you leverage that by, you know, building some sort of uh, hybrid or multi-cloud network that connects the many different resources that are out there. You know, that is kind of what we define as multi-cloud networking, connecting multiple cloud networks together. So you're, you're using the Microsoft Azure, or you're using the Amazon network, or you're using uh, Equinix Pops. You know, multi-cloud networking technology would be kind of an abstraction layer of networks to glue all these things together and have better visibility and management to use these things as one logical network. So that's kind of how I, I view multi-cloud. Uh, network as a service, I think, uh, takes that concept to a, a different uh, approach, which means uh, you're just kind of uh, going on the cloud and using a network. But um you know, kind of like a software as a service, you know, you're using a database in the cloud. Um, but there's many different approaches to either. And I think they cross over in certain ways. You know, companies in the space are doing things many different ways. So really, it comes down to the consumer of the technology and how they want to use these networks in the cloud and how much control they want over it. Uh, you know, is it a small, medium business where you might just want to 
click in and just use some network or uh, is it a fortune 500 company where it's it's more sophisticated and you, you need to co- connect all your your branch offices and and have monitoring and visibility of how these cloud networks are being used it's interesting to me how different businesses and enterprises want to use these big cloud backbones um some of them it's really just about getting traffic from one cloud workload to another or one region to another and um you know basically just an intra-cloud motion and of course there's a lot of throughput there some of these cloud workloads are getting really big and moving a lot of traffic so it's not like small pipes or anything but then there are other enterprises that are starting to look at the ability to like you said edge is uh you know if it's converging into uh, a software managed network space that that runs in the clouds looking at connecting a bunch of different branch sites or or colleges or edge sites or whatever there's all kinds of different edge sites as we know and then using the cloud backbone as a way for one edge to talk to another um and you know some some CSPs are are hedging their bet that this is going to be uh, a, a big growth vector in the future so for example with Azure we have their virtual WAN product which is meant to evangelize this pattern you know connect your hedge to us use the Microsoft network um, and then you don't have to use a carrier network like uh, your typical AT&T and Verizon. Um, is this coming up in your conversations with uh, the folks you talk to? Uh, this idea that maybe we're going to see the pendulum swing to where the cloud networks are going to start to connect in uh, a lot of, of edge locations as the predominant path or or not? Oh, 100%. I mean, and uh, it's not speculation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I go back to... Uh, the data I told you we collect and we we take uh, we we look at all the capital spending data and the which includes building out of pops and building cloud infrastructure and uh, you know building of five G networks <clears throat> and what you see is over time the cloud providers have have become uh, more powerful in kind of their investment and. You know, deployment of infrastructure, and they they continue to do that. And they continue to deploy more pops and connect closer to the end users and the major cities. So I think over time, that's a that's a clear trend that can be measured with uh, infrastructure deployment. Oh, that's cool. It's good to hear from you uh, that same data set that you know it's not just in my imagination that there's actual uh, you know hard data to to confirm that this that this motion is happening because. I talk to a lot of customers, of course, but unlike you, I don't really look at the hard facts all the time. So a lot of my thoughts are anecdotal. So uh, it's it's good to kind of to hear that out. Um, I want to end with one final question. We have time for for one more talking point, and that is on this new buzzword, which has you know come out of the woodwork maybe over the last uh, a year or so, which is zero trust networking, zero trust network architecture. Definitely something that was highlighted in in your recent report. Um, and the various ways that enterprises are designing and building these systems with with cloud in mind. Edge, of course, and SASE plays a huge role here. But I just read an article recently that AWS kind of has a new service. And I'm sorry that I don't remember the name of the service itself. I'm, I'm sure I could Google it. But it's essentially like a super proxy, meaning that it's built into the AWS Cloud Edge. And it uses just... Um, like a thin client, essentially, you know, from a workstation, you use, you know, like a TLS connection, SSH, not SSH, but like a browser connection to come in and then you perform like a super proxy user authentication just into their, into their Uber service. 
Um, do you think this is the way of the future where we're going to see the CSPs themselves get more involved in zero trust networking from the user side? Because zero trust networking means a lot of things, of course, but one of it is least privileged access for users. And one of it is very tight control of user identity versus the resources they get. Um, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, you see the CSPs encroaching into this space with their own kind of pass-ass platforms, or if, if it's going to be more of the, the marketplace that leads? Uh, I think it will be both. I mean, you can't you can't have too much security, right, in this world. So um, the the cloud providers they need to provide the most security, you know, to their end users. They want to make sure that Woody, when you're connecting in Amazon, you are who you say you are, and as you you said, uh, there's there's several ways they can authenticate you. Um, but, you know, Zero Trust is really about, you know, multiple forms of authentication and using identity. And uh, so not just trusting an IP address, but a trust, but gathering as much data about the user as possible to ensure they are who they say they are. Um, so it's in Amazon's best interest to do that for their customers. But um, think of all the other uh, things you're using. You, you know, you might be connecting to, like you said, a a 5G network that connects to Amazon. You might be connecting to an internet service that connects to Amazon, and they're going to want to authenticate you. And then you're connecting from your uh, office. So how do you know that your your connection to your office is secure? And how do they know it's secure? So <clears throat> there's multiple uh, levels of security. And we really, when you talk about zero trust, you know, it's going to be zero trust everywhere, not just... Uh, not just at the Amazon pop. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Well, any other topics or themes, Scott, that I missed that you want to hit on for our listeners? I mean, we've talked a lot about infrastructure and security and, and edge and all these things. Are there any other uh, themes you want to bring to the table, um, you know, for 2023 that might be relevant? Well, uh, what do you want? Things I never got from you is like, what are, what are some of your favorite bands and your music? Cause you, uh, you talked about, uh, being a musician. Yeah, well, I yeah, I was, I was born in the seventies. I will disclose my age here on on the show for the listeners, but I'm sure you could Google me and, and sort it out. But uh, you know, so I started with a lot of the '80s pop, but quickly graduated into punk rock in in high school. It was a great time to be into the punk rock space because you know a lot of the formative bands were still out there live touring, like. Uh, the Germs and X and the Ramones and Circle Jerks. And so that was a really uh, cool time. But um, interestingly, alongside of my interest in, in punk rock also was an interest in, in classical music um, because I was being trained to perform uh, saxophone at Appalachian State University, which is a, a school in North Carolina that I attended that, that had a music program. So I was kind of living in two worlds. Um, you know, one was the focus on classical and, and repertoire, and one was the focus on, you know, punk rock and, and kind of the rise of the alternative scene. And uh, it, I found it was cool that there was like really intense things happening in, in both sides of the fence. Um, and you see that with musicians sometimes, you know, they're super eclectic. Their, their album collections like span hundreds of different bands and genres. So, and as I've grown older, you know, I've gotten into all kinds of, of different music. Um, you know, from electric dance music to 
Um, you know, of course, jazz as a saxophone player, you know, and drummer, I was way into jazz for a while to even actually some commercial country, which really startled me. I didn't expect at all to get into commercial country, but the more I listened to it, the more I was like, wow, there's, uh, there's a lot of production value here. The musicianship's really good. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I believe music should be a, a mashup as well of, uh, influences. And, uh, you mentioned the punk movement, uh, but you didn't mention the the Minutemen, which are one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh, the Minutemen, yeah, of course, yeah, the Minutemen are great. They were from, I think, L.A., right? And then they had, who was it? Was it Mike Watt that was their incredible bass exactly. there? And he went on exactly. with the drummer to be in Firehose, right? That's correct. Yeah, That's correct. and the interesting story about Firehose is that like one of the fans about the Minutemen was distraught that they broke up and kept writing him and asking him to do a new project. And they said, okay, come on. And he was the guitar player and singer for Firehose. So yeah, <laughs> he just badgered them back into playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're great. Mike Watt is an amazing bass player. Um, I, I do love the Minutemen. Very cool. Well, I look forward to jamming with you sometime. Yeah. That'd be fun. I'd love to get together and, and play. Uh, I, I have an electric kit now. Do you have uh, access to a drum set where you are? in a practice space or something? Well, I'm a, I'm a guitarist, so you wouldn't want to see me play the drums. It would be ugly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person sometime and, and hang out and talk more about music. I would love that. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Woody. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. 